So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and the 20th verse. Last week we talked about righteousness, and we showed there's a difference between the righteousness of man, or of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, really all flesh, and the righteousness which is of faith, or the righteousness of God. And we're going to talk some more about that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and the 20th verse, we'll start reading. Jesus did say to his disciples, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom. So when we're going to come before a righteous God, do you think an unrighteous individual is going to stand before God or somebody he has imputed righteousness to? And it's pretty important right now, we'll just say it very simply, the way that you get righteousness imputed unto you. And this is also how the new man is created. We're going to read right here in Ephesians 4 about the new man and the old man. But the new man is created in righteousness. And I want you to look at that like this. God uses righteousness to destroy or truth to create a new man and destroy an old man. The body of sin is the old man. And you start off first serving, being a servant of sin. Uh, Romans, the sixth chapter tells us. But when truth comes to you, you hear that truth, it begins to create a new man. One that righteousness is created. It's created in righteousness. And that's what makes you, and the new man is the hidden man of the heart, uh, righteous before God. He does that by sending you truth. Like Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. So Jesus himself has to speak truth to you. It becomes what's right in you or imputes righteousness to you. And you, through that truth, through Jesus, through the righteousness, now you come unto the Father. No man can come unto the Father but by me. Now you know how that happens. And it, it happens because of what Jesus has done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. It's, it's because of the death, burial, and resurrection. The guilty, uh, the innocent for the guilty. So he's paid the ultimate price for every single one of us. Now here's the key. The simplicity. Just like Abram in uh, Genesis the 15th chapter. When the word of the Lord came to him. I think around the 6th verse. The scripture says that Abraham believed God. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So how simple can we make this here today? God sends his son, which is the way, the truth, and the life. You hear Jesus' words, which are truth. You believe those, and now righteousness is imputed unto you. Thank God, huh? That righteousness that's creating that new man also destroys the body of sin, the man of sin. And you stop being a servant of sin and through obedience, you begin to be a servant of righteousness. This is how you can stand before the Lord. A God that's righteous, holy altogether, imputes his righteousness to you, and then you have an invitation. Come. Come unto me. So I'm going to roll up my sleeves. We're going to get into some stuff here today, okay? Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and the 20th verse. Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus says, but you have not so learned Christ. 
If so be that ye have heard him. This is everything I just said to you. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Where's the truth at? It's in Jesus. Amazing. So if you're looking for truth anywhere else, you may not find it. Verse 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. We talk about the old man and the new man a lot. We'll see in the scriptures, the old man is the, the body of sin. He's the man of sin. Uh, he serves sin. He's the servant of sin. So we got to come out of the old and into the new. God's doing a new thing, Bryce. Come out of the old and into the new. So repent from your old ways and you walk in your new ways. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Remember last week I mentioned to you that righteousness works continually over and over in your thought, in your spirit, in your very being to reveal what's wrong and make it right. The truth comes, corrects the air, and you walk in the way, the truth, and the life. You walk in righteousness. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But one thing's for sure, we got to have the truth first. That's where the, the buck stops, right there with Jesus. You have to have Jesus. Without Jesus, we're just another religious organization, wandering around lost, thinking we're saved, and not knowing God whatsoever. Kind of reminds me of the Pharisees we talked about last week a whole lot, huh? They said God's their father. They had Abraham. They had Moses. They had the law. And the truth, you know what the truth said to them? You're of your father the devil. And the less of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not of the truth. There's no truth in him, he said. When he speaketh, he speaketh a lie. He maketh it his own. Well, they were pretty deceived uh, not knowing who their father was, weren't they? Verse 22, and that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Where are these things taking place at, folks? In the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. What, what do we say you have to do? You have to believe. When you believe, are you putting on a new man? So how do I put that new man on? By believing. Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Verse 24. And that she put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Don't miss this. Let's look at this real close. Which after God. Did God create all things? Were all things made by him and for him and without him was nothing made that was made? Do you see in the beginning in Genesis the whole first chapter when God created seven days six days he worked in and the seventh day he rested and they were done by and God said and God said continually and God said let there be light and what was there there was light so God the creator creates with words where is he creating or what is he creating for you a new mind Carrie you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're, he's creating a new man for you to walk in that's created after him. And this is how he does it. Look at this real close. Which after God is created in righteousness 
and true holiness. This new man is a righteous man. This new man, do you see it said, in righteousness. Where is this new man at? In God's righteousness. His words create him and put him there. Is this new man Jesus? Is this new man the body of Christ? Huh? How do you think you're baptized into his death? How do you think you are members of the body of Christ? You receive Christ. You receive truth. You receive his word. And it puts you in him as a member of his body, as a part of his body in, with a new mind and a new man. Now, I had mentioned last week about an experience I had. I told this, it's been years now. I want to share that with you again. Maybe not all of it. I'm going to share the important parts about it with you. I uh, was sleeping one night and went into a dream. And in the dream, I was in heaven. In my consciousness, I knew this place was heaven. And there were thrones in front of me. There was one distinct throne. But there are 24 thrones in front of me. And uh, heaven was grieved, if I could say it that way. There was weeping. And what I knew to be the angel of the Lord, and it was the Lord, but it was the angel of the Lord, a very strong angel came forth and had a scroll in his hand, you know, like a, a wound up scroll, and it had a seal on it. And the reason that heaven was grieved or there was weeping, it was because no man in heaven was worthy to break the seal, to open the scroll, and to read what was therein. And then I knew, I knew, Bryce. I'm worthy and I stepped up I walked forward and I walked to the throne and I reached out my hand and in my hand was seven stars it's not like a body like you have here it's way different it's a body of light and of wind it's a spiritual body but there's substance to it too and I knew that those seven stars were in my right hand I was worthy to receive the scroll, and when he that sat upon the throne gave me the, the scroll, I broke the seal, and I opened it, and I began to read what was written in this scroll. And it was the, I read it pretty quickly, comprehended it. What was written in the scroll was the mysteries and the righteousness of God revealed. That's how I knew it. And I said to him that sat on the throne, I understand and he said, I'm sending you. And immediately, I was sent from there with those mysteries, with that righteousness. Now, I'm telling this experience because if somebody tells you that righteousness is an easy thing to understand, I'm going to tell you it's not. It's sealed. God has to open that seal for you. We had somebody telling my brother-in-law a little while back, um, Tim McHenry was talking to one of his relatives, and they asked him about how the church is doing in Chicago. And he says, doing great. God's revealing his mysteries and, and these things. And the individual said, mysteries? Huh. I don't find the Bible to be mysterious. I don't see where there's any mysteries in the Bible at all. And Tim's like, hmm, okay. You know, okay. I guess you're above the disciples because they came to the Lord and wanted to know, Lord, why speak thou unto them in parables? He said, because unto you it's given, but to them it's not given. Therefore, I speak to them in mysteries. And anybody with any sort of honesty in their heart whatsoever, if you read the book of Revelation and tell me that nothing in the Bible is mysterious and there's no mysteries, 
Um, I have to quote Romans 3 and 4 to you. Let God be true and every man a liar. Because that's what you're manifesting right there. But the, the righteousness is so important because we've been tying it into the fear of the Lord, how righteousness creates that fear of the Lord. Now we're talking about a new man that walks in righteousness, that carries the fear of the Lord, that has wisdom, has understanding, and lives in a, in a place in his mind and spirit, like the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is clean, where things are clean. How many of you like clean houses? Clean cars? Just, just things clean, huh? Yeah, me too. Um, I know people that will keep their house immaculate, but then when you go and get in their car and drive around, you feel like you got to take a shower afterwards. It, it's so dirty, you know? And I'm not going to mention any names today. I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, clean is nice, isn't it? I know this sounds crazy. I told my wife this a long time ago. If I could, I would own a home, and I know all the specs, I'm not going to say them here, where everything on the inside is white. The walls are white. The... the um, wrap-around leather sofa is white. There would only be like three black throw pillows on that couch. So I could throw one at Brianna, one at Easton, and one at Christy. <laughs> Everything else would be white, right? like ivory white. You know what I'm saying? Even my kitchen table, like a marble, just beautiful. I've already imagined these things. And um, I just like clean. I like white. I like the righteousness of God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Corinthians now. We're going to go still to Paul's writings here. Make sure I got everything I needed there. Pay attention today to certain words. Like the spirit. What the spirit does. We're going to talk about the spirit. We're going to talk about the heart. Because it's been greatly in my heart for a while now to talk to you about, and I mentioned it last week, doing things with your whole heart. God told Solomon, if you seek me with your whole heart, Seek me with your whole heart, I'll be found of you. So if we can seek God in righteousness with our whole heart, he promised he'd be found of us. You know, in the portion of scripture with Abraham, when he believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, the beginning of that chapter says, and the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. About the sixth verse, it says, Abram believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He was talking to God about having an heir. That Eliezer in his house was, was not from him. It wasn't his seed, but he's going to be the heir. And God made him a promise. In other words, he gave him a word. He gave him a truth. Now, Abraham believed that truth. And this is, again, very simple to me. But because Abraham believed that truth, at this time is Abram, it says it was counted unto him for righteousness, Carrie. So he could stand before the Lord because of the word he had received and be righteous. And God counted him as righteous in his sight. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? You know that it also talks about this situation in Romans 4. It starts a chapter off, about, talks about what has our father Abraham found as pertaining to the flesh. You know what he found as pertaining to the flesh? How to live for God, not in a law, but by grace. He found that the righteousness of God, which comes by faith and not by his works, was all he needed to stand in the presence of God, to receive the promises of God, to be blessed of the Lord. He just needed to have God talk to him, like many of you have had here today, and then believe what he said. 
But I also want you to notice, I believe it's in the Romans 4, it's there, or Genesis 15. It says, Abram was fully persuaded, Bryce. Fully. It's like David in Psalms 23, his, my cup runneth over. If it's so full, you can't put anything else in there. There's no room for sin. There's no room for lies. There's no room for the devil or death or any of these things. Abraham was fully persuaded. In other words, there was nothing else there at that time but believing what God said. Is there another person in the Bible that got fully persuaded by God? The Apostle Paul used the same uh, terminology. The Apostle Paul started off as a man named Saul, which was an enemy of God, although he thought he knew God. He was very zealous for God. He was a Pharisee. And, and that was the strictest sect of religion in those days was the Pharisee. And he sat at the feet of Gamel. Gamel? How do you say that, Daryl? Gamelia? And, and learned the law. And he said he was blameless concerning the law. In other words, in himself, in his self, and in his works, uh, he did everything he possibly could to be perfect and live for God. And he was the enemy of God. He actually hated the truth so much. We say the truth, yes, Jesus. He hated Jesus so much that he went to the, uh, the magistrates and the people that were in charge in those days and got papers that anybody that believed in Jesus, Christians, anybody that believed in Jesus or professed Jesus, preached Jesus, would be taken to prison to be killed. And then you know on the road to Damascus what happened? That same individual he hated so much appeared to him. Huh? A light shone from heaven above the noonday. And, and the voice, the word of the Lord, the voice of Jesus comes. And says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And here's the conversion. Here's the change. This is where Saul went from being an enemy to an advocate. An enemy to a friend like Abraham called the friend of God. Paul's the friend of God. You know that? Um, this is where he went from being an enemy to being a friend of Jesus. He said, Who art thou, Lord? I know this is God right now. I know this light. I know this voice is God. Who are you? You ever listen for the voice of God? And want to know, Who is that talking to me? Hmm? Who are you? Who art thou, Lord? It is I, Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You're, you're fighting against me now. And immediately, that truth took a man that hated the truth and, and preached a lying gospel after a Pharisee and was converted and was fully persuaded, Bryce. And God worked with him some more to keep that persuasion going. Paul suffered much, you know that? I'd say more than anybody in this room. The only one that suffered greater would be Jesus himself. But Paul suffered much. And he loved much, didn't he? You know why he loves much? The Lord ministered to this me a long time ago. He that's forgiven for much loveth much. And I realized, hey, that's me had a lot of bad things wrong in my life but I'm forgiven and now I'm thankful 
And my love for God and for Jesus himself, it, it comes from him. We love him because he first loved us. Amen? And we're thankful and appreciate, appreciative for everything that he has done, is doing, and is going to do in the future. Because he's not done working. You understand that, right? God's creating this new man we're talking about. He's renewing you in the spirit of your mind. And he's doing it with righteousness. Where you can stand before him in righteousness and true holiness. Now, 2 Corinthians 3. Let's begin reading in verse 3. Paul speaking says, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us. Now, this chapter is talking about ministers of a new covenant. There was an old covenant and there's a new covenant. There's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. Remember, Moses gave the law under the first covenant or the Old Testament. Jesus mediates the New Testament. He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And was the ultimate sacrifice that one time he shed his blood. One time he gave his life for the sins of the world. And he mediates this new covenant. He's talking to the um, church in Corinth and says, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Why do he say tables of stone? That's the old covenant, right? Moses received the Ten Commandments. Five on each side. Right, Walker? Had to do it twice, as a matter of fact. But notice he said, not with ink, not in tables of stone, he said, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables where? Where is the Spirit working here, folks? Catch this. The heart. The heart. What's God persuading? Your heart. He's renewing your mind. That's why if we seek him with our whole heart, he'll be found of us. Amen? Where's the spirit working at here, Carrie? The heart. Verse 4, and such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Now, he's not trusting in man, huh, Jennifer? We're trusting God through Christ. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. What's the New Testament? It's of the Spirit. So you have things written in your heart right now that maybe need to be renewed, that need to be made new. You could be walking in the old, and Jesus is speaking truth to you to create the new. Actually, if you can follow me and you will believe me here today, every single time truth is speak, this is what takes place. Righteousness, through that truth, is being creating, created in you. It's renewing your mind. It's renewing your spirit. It's creating a clean heart and renewing a right spirit within you, like David prayed in Psalms 51. Every time. So how important is it to have truth? It's pretty much everything, isn't it? How important is it to have Jesus and to have this spirit work this now what I'm going to point out here is the New Testament is the ministration of the spirit but it's also called the ministration of righteousness so when the when the spirit of truth is working in your life it is bringing righteousness to you Allie continually filling your heart 
with righteousness, filling your thoughts and your mind with righteousness. And so let's continue to read this. Six, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Have you ever been reading the Bible or, or trying to be pleasing to God, trying to keep the commandments, and it just seems impossible? <laughs> it's supposed to be that way. The law was given uh, so the whole world would be found guilty before him. Then once we realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then we come to an understanding that we need forgiveness, that we need help. The law wasn't there to justify you or to make you perfect. It's their schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. Once you come to Christ, Bryce, Christ gives you faith. He speaks that truth. He speaks that word to you. You come out of the old, repent from the old man, and you turn to the new and you start walking in faith toward God. Two foundational principle doctrines. And the whole thing is creating a new man in righteousness. Now, I finished six. Yeah. Verse seven. But if the ministration of death, notice that's the letter that killeth, but if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. There's a glory to the old. Hmm? You ever memorize scripture and, man, if, I can do it. I got all these scriptures. And you can quote it. And that's a good thing. But never replace the spirit with the letter that killeth. Knowing the word of God's awesome. And, and remembering scripture and um, quoting scripture. I love it. Do it all the time. But we want to always remember that without the spirit, it's referred to as the ministration of death. So you just understand those things. He said, um, how, much, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? So this ministration of the Spirit exceeds the ministration of death or the letter that killeth. Now verse 9, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, where does your condemnation come from? When you handle the letter that killeth. Are you paying attention to this with me, you guys? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, but i, I got to show you how this works. The law reveals sin. It shows you the old man. It, it, it shows you um, the old. But it doesn't fix it. Are you with me? He said, let me read that to you again. For if the ministration of condemn, condemnation be glory... Much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So when you're in the law without the Spirit, it's there to condemn sin. It's there to condemn the devil. It's there to condemn the old man to crucify him. But what happens is a thing where the devil himself, Satan, gets involved and he takes the word of God and he accuses you. And he convinces you. With that same word of God that was sent to impute righteousness to you, he uh, convinces you of sin, of his sin. And once you get convinced of the sin, his ministration using the letter kills, puts you right in death, and now, Bryce, you're living in condemnation. 
I mean, Paul wrote this. I'm not making this up. He said, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Now I want to jump down here a little bit. It's talking about, it references Moses that he put a veil over his face. And that that covenant, that testament was going to be abolished. Let's see about 14. Right, let's read 13. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. So there was a glory of handling the word of God. Moses' face did shine. It's wisdom that maketh a man's face to shine. He, he was in a glory, but it was hid to Israel. Let's read on. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. So they're blind, their minds are blind. They can't see the truth of what Moses was given to them, even though he possessed it. It was veiled to them. Watch this closely. We're going to finish up this week with this right here. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken, uh, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Look closely. Which veil is done away in Christ. There's a greater glory here of the new. The veil is done away in Christ. The word of God is no more hid from you. Now it's given to you by faith. And God saves you uh, by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's one more thing I want to point out here. Verse 15. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Look at the word heart right there. Where is it hid? The veil is on the heart, right? Their minds are blinded. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. When it said right there, when it shall turn to the Lord. Jim, what is the it? Somebody help me out here. The heart. So all you have to do is turn your heart, turn your whole heart towards God. Natalie said, yeah. You turn your whole heart towards God. And now you're walking towards God where the word of God is no longer veiled. It's no longer hidden to you. Your heart, your whole heart is after God. And God begins to open up Christ to you. And he begins to share the truth and begins to impute righteousness to you. Because your whole heart, Carrie, is turned to the Lord. Now, Merle, here's a promise. The veil is being taken away in Christ. Isn't that awesome? And I'm going to tell you, if you caught what I said here today, when this happens to you, when you walk towards God with your whole heart, the ministration of the Spirit is working. The ministration of uh, righteousness. A ministration is a ministry. It's how you administer or you work in a ministry. It's the ministration of the Spirit, Carrie, not of the letter, not on uh, tables of stone, but fleshly tables of the heart. He said... The ministration of righteousness. It excels in glory. And I'll tell you what. We'll talk more about this next week. But this is how that new man is created. And the new man, like we said last week, Jennifer, he has a new way of hearing. He has a new way of seeing, Bryce. 
He has a, a new way of handling the things of God. He puts on the whole armor of God. And it was Christy just talked about that, right? And what is his heart protected with? Come on, there's, there's like seven different pieces of armor. The breastplate of righteousness. You got to put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You got to put on the helmet of salvation. Huh? Have your loins girt about with truth. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What else we got here? I was going to say that one last. What else do we got? The breastplate of righteousness. What? The shield of faith. That's the one. And then like Carrie said, the sword of the spirit. Everything else protects you. One offensive weapon, huh? That'll put all the enemy to flight. The sword of the spirit. A two-edged sword. So we're going to talk more about the new man and the old man. Do we have any uh, questions? Yeah, when you were talking about Paul there, um, it made me think about this whole time I've been thinking, man, was there any hope for the Pharisee? Because God would say, you know, you see serpents and you vipers, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the needle or, you know. Than for a rich man, yep. And I, I, I never really thought of there was any hope for a Pharisee. And then you were talking about Paul. And Paul declared that he was the biggest Pharisee of them all. And, and so today it was just that word just brought a hope that there's hope there. And we just got to receive There's it. a great hope, Sharon. As a matter of fact, we'll start in Romans 10 next week. And Paul's prayer as a, an ex-Pharisee and a born-again Christian was that all Israel would be saved. And we'll talk about that, okay? I want you to read down and look at the third verse there. And it talks about them being ignorant of God's righteousness. They went about establishing their own righteousness because they were ignorant about God's righteousness. And my question next week to you is going to be, how does that work? What does that mean, ignorant of God's righteousness? Fair enough? Okay, I left you with a question. So we'll start more than likely in Romans 10 next week. I appreciate you. Daryl? Uh, explain to me. What do you mean? Oh. The word of the Lord coming to you? Just like Abraham, just like Paul, they both had an experience in the spirit like the one I told you about earlier today. And the word of the Lord came to Abraham. The word of the Lord came to Saul. And when they received it, Daryl, and they believed it, both men, this is really cool now that you brought this back out, Daryl, were, were persuaded Fully, Abram was fully persuaded. And I think you would agree with me that Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, was fully persuaded also, wasn't he? Those were his words. So, Daryl, I'm glad you said that. We'll recap this. The word of the Lord comes to you, which is the truth. You hear that truth. You believe it. That truth corrects the wrong, makes it right. Now, well, when I say makes it right, that's the righteousness of God being imputed unto you. And it works over and over and over again every time you hear truth. So the first two principal doctrines of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, they're foundational, Daryl. Everything else is built on it. It continually works through your whole entire life. Is that an okay answer? Thank you, Daryl. All right, Jennifer. So I have a question for you. So if we're not work, walking right now in the full righteousness of God, would it be fair to say then there's part of our heart that is not fully 
believing or fully loving or his fully because it said it had to turn right so the whole heart has to turn okay you can't turn part do you see what i'm saying well uh, how, how are you looking at that because there's a line that you need to draw here to so you're not trying to work it yourself if god is seeing you through grace it's your whole heart the grace covers it if we start thinking there's something i have to do outside of grace and outside of the faith of God, you could be getting into works where you could boast about it. And you know what? Romans 4, you can read that. That's where the, um, Abraham found these things pertain to the flesh. When you do that by works, you start holding God as a debtor. Say, you're in debt to me. I did what you said, Jim. Now you owe me, God. You hold a debt over God's head. And that's never going to work. He, it was imputed unto him for righteousness because he believed God, not of his works. Of our works, not going to get us there. They're works of the flesh. That makes sense to you, Jennifer? It does, so don't try to figure this out. First if you've got <laughs> one word, then the grace of God has come to you, and God sees you as righteous. And he's going to continue to grow that righteousness. There's no, um, it, it's pretty cut and dry. It's only when you get convinced of sin. That you go back and say, hey, there's another side to it here. I'm out of the grace of God and I'm a sinner. Well, you'll serve sin, but you've been called to serve righteousness. That's Romans 6 chapter. Through obedience, you're the servant of righteousness. And, and grace works the whole thing, Jennifer. Sharon? So, was it the believing that converted Paul from being, being a, what, a hypocrite? I actually experienced Paul's conversion in the spirit and I also experienced... Um, who did they stone? Was it Stephen? Preached a dynamite message. Saul was there. He heard that preaching. He was hating Jesus. He was hating, I, I, the Lord let me experience this in the spirit. Paul was a young man. He was holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen. And Daryl, the hatred that all them people had and even Saul had at that time was, I'll use Rick's word, immense. But I was in the mind of Saul and for a second, he said, he reserved in his heart that if the things Stephen was preaching were true, that he would fully, wholeheartedly go after it. And that's what happened on the road. So it was sown. Sharon was sown. A word was sown to Saul, prepared him for the road to Damascus. And that's what he wanted to know. Okay, this light is you. This light is the Lord. This light is God. But who art thou, Lord? And Bam, immediately. He had already reserved in his heart if this thing was true. Because as fast as he reserved that in his heart, he went right back to hating. And then with all those people that hated Jesus, but boy, man, his conversion. The Lord can remind you of things, can't he? That word reminded him of what he said in his heart he would do. And he did it instantly. Christy Dawn? Huh? Aren't you supposed to have the mic? Aren't you supposed to have the mic? Jim, it's thou friend that thou gavest me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, you were talking about being fully persuaded, and uh, the kids, we were out there talking about Jonah, and I would say that Jonah was fully persuaded to serve God and do what was right. Yeah, did uh, your Sunday school teacher teach you about Jonah? Was he, did he get vomited up onto the shore? 
got regurgitated, huh? I'd say after being in the uh, belly of a well for three days and three nights, it's about time to be fully persuaded and go preach the gospel to Nineveh, huh? Well, now he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be there, do we? Well, good job, Christy. I appreciate that. Everybody good?